0: You're listening to 5 Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and welcome to Crazy Town. I'm not talking about New York, no matter what you think. I'm talking about inside my head. I'm starting to feel crazy. I don't think it's my fault. Maybe it is, but, you know, with all the news that one feels one has to watch day in and day out, and I know a lot of you are taking breaks from it, I guess I don't feel I can. I'm starting to have stranger dreams than usual, and my dreams are usually pretty, pretty strange. The pandemic, this Supreme Court judge, floods, biblical weather, Lindsey Graham, it's not good. And one other thing that's insane is that I feel so personally on the hook for this. I mean, if God forbid Joe Biden loses the presidency, it won't be my fault. And yet I will, I will somehow find a way to blame myself. I just feel like I have to do everything I can at all times of the day. I text bank while writing letters, but it does help me dispel my emotional stress. So this is what I do. I join something called votersforward.org, and they send you letters that you personalize. You, You address an envelope, you write the name of the person in the letter, you sign your own name, and in between, they give you a little space to tell the person you're writing to why this election means so much to you. And in the writing... I, I don't discover things I didn't feel, but I've learned how to sort of hone my message, as it were. The other thing is with Voters Forward, you're not overwhelmed. You can only download five letters at a time, five or 10 maybe. So, so you never have more to do when, than you can handle. I have signed up with a group called Writers Against Trump. Oh, did I give away my point of view? And I have been tweeting with them, tweet banking for voter registration. And out of maybe 2,000 tweets I sent, I got quite a few abusive ones, but I did register maybe four voters. So that's four more votes. I do feel like voting is the most important thing we can all do. And until that right is taken away from us, we need to exercise it. This week's guest also believes in the political system when it works. He is Will Haskell. He is the youngest state senator in the Nutmeg State, also known as Connecticut. He graduated from Georgetown and is ending his first two-year term and running for re-election. I wanted to talk to somebody his age and find out what it was about the system, about politics as we know it, that made him want to sign up for it. I mean, after all, we have not made politics look like an attractive uh, uh, career lately. So he's a very interesting young man. But first, the five things that made my life better this week. Number one, Shipt, S-H-I-P-T. It's my grocery store. I used to be with Instacart. I wonder if they miss me. But Instacart, my my shoppers were uneven, and then they stopped shopping in one of the stores I depended on. So I switched to Shipt, which I learned about from my BFFs, Amy and Danny. And guess what? The shoppers have been brilliant, and I used them in Los Angeles, and I loved my shoppers there. It costs the same as Instacart, but I find that their people are really great communicators, and we haven't had any boo-boos, so good for them. Number two, I bought a green plant for my kitchen. I sort of Felt it was a splurge, but you know what? I look out of the window in my kitchen, right behind the sink, a lot. I mean, the kitchen is pretty much where I spend half the day, and why not look at an interesting green plant? It's not a splurge when you think of cut flowers, which you know I love, but that is a splurge. But green plant, and I feel like it's giving back, and I'm giving back to it. Is that is that sad? It's come to that, yeah. <laughs> my plant. I haven't given it a name. Don't worry. I'm not making it my friend. It's just a plant. I, I know the difference. Number three, Maya Rudolph as Kamala Harris on SNL. It's great to see her, isn't it? She's one of those people who just commits to a, a an impression and commits to a part so well. I love her. It's just great to see her back on that show. Number four, Boom Again. This is a brand new board game that my partner and I played with our friends, Heidi and Robert, on a pleasant, cool day outside in their garden. A man called Brian Hirsch invented it. He invented Taboo, which some of you may know. And I think Super Scattergories also. So he's a very well-regarded, venerated game designer. This is a trivia game for people born in the baby boom generation, of which I must confess I am. The game is so much fun. You fight a lot. And you laugh a lot over trivia from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The game pieces look like, well, they're they're all items that you might remember. I did not recognize roller skating key because I never roller skated, but that was one of the pieces, JFK campaign button, a 45 record adapter, and... It was two hours. They went by in a flash. It was really fun. I'm sure it's even longer and funnier when you play with more people. So that is a good time during COVID. Number five, Dr. Fauci. Let's all really thank Dr. Fauci by wearing a mask. He's been sidelined by the administration, yet they're using his words taken out of context and editing them into pro-Trump ads. That's a disgrace. Dr. Fauci you're a treasure. You're a treasure to me. Coming up, Senator Will Haskell. Don't go away. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. My guest is the youngest member of the Connecticut State Senate. He's 23. My God, 23. I I own one of those. His name is Will Haskell. He's a Democrat from the 26th District, which is mostly Fairfield County, if that's not my, I'm not mistaken about that. Am I, Will?
1: No, that's exactly right. Seven towns here in Fairfield County.
0: So welcome to Will Haskell, who we discovered in the 30 under 30 list at Forbes magazine. It's nice to talk to you today.
1: It's such an honor to be with you, Lisa. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, listen, a lot of my friends live in your district and you're running for re-election. Tell me how, with a two-year term, how you're not always running when you're serving,
1: you now that you've are. done it once, yeah, it, you know the campaign never really stops with a two-year term. But I've tried to do things a, a little bit unconventionally. Obviously, I mean, I ran for office before I'd even graduated from college. I wow, I decided to do something a little bit unusual and coming back to Connecticut and, and throwing my hat in the ring. And this community really took a chance on me. And what I found out as I went door to door, as I went to living rooms across Fairfield County, is that people were frustrated not just about the state of our state, but more broadly about the state of our politics. They wanted to see change. And I was running against somebody who'd been in office for longer than I'd been alive. Uh, Seriously? Yeah. A, a big belief of Lisa, is that people ought to know who their state senator is, even if they disagree with me on every issue. They ought to have my cell phone number. Let They ought to know that I'm coming back and hosting town halls regularly. So in a sense, yeah, the campaign is, has never stopped. I held 73 town halls. I've, I've gone to meet with commuters at the train station before the sun rises. I, I talk to constituents every single day as I drive up to Hartford and as I drive home. So yeah... It, A two-year term is is tough, but honestly, this campaign season doesn't feel all that much different from just being an elected official because our job, whether we're campaigning or not, is just to be accessible.
0: Yes, absolutely. So a lot of people your age are very anti-politics. They're very turned off to the process. My own personal 23-year-old exhibit, as I call her, she has a lot of friends who don't plan to vote in this general election because Bernie didn't get the nomination and the Biden-Harris ticket is so corporate and so on. How did you end up being a believer in the system?
1: Well, for one thing, uh, rather than throwing up our hands when we watch a debate (laughs) um, like we did the other day with the president and the Democratic nominee for president who couldn't seem to get a word out, I think that a lot of people in our generation are deciding to roll up their sleeves instead. I know that our generation gets a bad reputation for being sort of apathetic, but there are reasons to be optimistic. Young people, they're not just going to be at the ballot box this November. Many of us are going to be on the ballot. One in 10 eligible voters this year is going to be below the age of 23. That number, doubles when you look at voters age 29 or younger. I think wow. that the youth vote is actually going to play a huge role in determining who our next president is. So I've spent a lot of time over the last two years going to classrooms, high school, elementary school, middle school, college classrooms, talking with students about what they want to see out of the future. I think that they hold a really unique perspective that right now is being overlooked by a lot of people in government. But the solution is To their frustration, it's not apathy. It's not to take a step back. It's to lean in and and to step forward and put either their names on the ballot or to get involved on behalf of a candidate who actually speaks to the issues that matter to them.
0: Well, I think that's a great answer. Let me amend my question. The youth of the world seems to be the engine now. It used to be the caboose. But between the Parkland kids, between Greta Thunberg and a lot of young activists, I think us older people are very much impressed with what you're all doing and how you're doing it. AOC, I think, has been a real beacon for young people who want to get active. However, what I'm saying is a lot of young people are starting their own organizations, are doing activism in a new way and not running for office as you are it,
1: it, it, and have. It's, it's true. I think there's a role for everybody, right? Not everyone wants to go out and knock on doors. My girlfriend would probably sooner do anything else in the world than make cold calls to voters every day, which is what I spend most of my day doing. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every every personality trait has a role to play, I think, in, in helping us build back better, as Joe Biden says. But I see a lot of hand-wringing about how we're going to get young people to the polls this year. And I think that, mm-hmm. frankly, a lot of politicians and political strategists, they're over complicating things, right? I've seen candidates on both sides of the aisle try to appeal to young voters by playing beer pong in videos or putting up lawn signs on Farmville. I think that this is pretty rightly uh, understood by young people is pandering. And the best way, Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you Mm -hmm. brought up Representative Ocasio-Cortez, the best way to appeal to young voters and to speak to them is to speak about the issues that matter to them. Look how often the word we comes up when Representative Ocasio-Cortez speaks with young people over Instagram. She Mm -hmm. talks to them as though they are part of the team. She speaks about climate change because she knows that for our generation, that's an existential threat to our continued existence. She talks about gun violence prevention because for folks our age, school shooter drills have become as commonplace as fire drills. She talks about what affirmative consent looks like on college campuses because we've seen what it looks like, but tragically, we've seen what it doesn't look like. She talks about the the price of earning a degree in the 21st century, something we all know well because we are still paying it even years after we we graduate. So I think that speaking about those issues is the best way to get in touch with young voters and meet them where they are, as opposed to some of these more sort of pandering efforts that unfortunately uh, uh, seem to pervade during the campaign season.
0: I had no idea that lawn signs in Farmville was a thing. I know, can and, you believe and, that? No, that's really insulting. I, that's really extraordinarily I, I, insulting.
1: We've got some really uh, serious issues facing this country and young people are acutely aware of them because we are stakeholders in that future. And I think sure. that you know, we ought to think a little bit bigger uh, than, than virtual lawn signs.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, when you talk about the problems in your state, I want to remind you that, relatively speaking, Connecticut is a beacon of progressiveness and open thought compared to some states. You have a terrific governor and fantastic senators, so, you
1: know, it could be worse. Oh, my gosh. Amen. The reason that I'm so excited about working on the state level, even in a small state like Connecticut, where some things uh, have gone really well, is because I believe in that Justice Brandeis quote, that states can be laboratories of democracy. I think that we can do things that Washington, right now at least, is simply incapable of doing. While, while Congress talks about problems, state legislatures are actually solving them. Take a look at the paid family and medical leave bill. Connecticut passed the strongest paid family and medical leave program in the entire country last year. That in this state, no one is going to be forced to choose between their family and their career. We stood up to the NRA by passing three strong gun laws, something that Congress is never going to be able to do, at least for the foreseeable future, until we get money out of politics. So we can show the rest of the country that what works here could work everywhere. And that's why I, I absolutely love working in state government. We're actually able Mm -hmm. to get things done.
0: How heterogeneous is the state of Connecticut? You know, it has a reputation for being pretty... White and privileged.
1: Actually, uh, for a small state, there's a tremendous amount of diversity, and unfortunately, a major problem that we have to tackle is major economic inequality. I grew up in Westport, Connecticut, an incredibly privileged suburb here in Fairfield County. You take a 10-minute drive on I-95, and you'll get to Bridgeport. In the course of that 10-minute drive, you'll pass a hundred thousand-dollar difference in median income. You'll go from mm. Staples High School, our alma mater, where there's smartboards in every classroom, to Bassett High School, where there are chalkboards in every classroom, and the these These are just small details that encapsulate the huge economic inequality that's not just bad for those who are on the lower income scale. It's bad for all of our economy. So this year, I I supported raising the minimum wage to $15. It's going to give 330,000 people in Connecticut a raise. And let that number sink in. In a small state like Connecticut, 330,000 people, the majority of whom are women, are making less than $15 an hour makes it really Mm -hmm. hard to survive in this state. So there's a lot of socioeconomic diversity. There's a tremendous amount of racial diversity, although unfortunately it's a state that's still very segregated. So yes, we're doing a lot of things right, especially right now in containing this virus, but there's a lot of problems to solve here at home too.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many many state senators are there in the state of Connecticut?
1: There's 36 state senators, which means we each represent about 100,000 people.
0: And in the lower part of this, I mean, the parts of Connecticut that I know are either academic Connecticut, New Haven, of course, Mm -hmm. being one of those places. I know Fairfield County because that's my universe. And I know a little bit of the Litchfield County area, but really that's a whole other form of nutmeg state that doesn't see the light of day so much in the media.
1: It's so true. I've loved traveling around this state because we really do have it all. There are beautiful beaches out as you get closer to Rhode Island. Hartford is an amazing city. And growing up in Fairfield County, I never really engaged with state politics. I think that people who grow up in our area tend to think that uh, Cuomo is their governor. They watch New York local news and they forget that they're a part of this uh, state with a really rich history. But you know, I'm so glad, Lisa, that you brought up Connecticut's legacy of academia, because this has been a real focus of mine. It drives me crazy. that so many people my age get an education in Connecticut, and then then they decide to start their careers elsewhere. We invest so much in building up a 21st century workforce, but then we see those workers buy their first home, start a family, start a small business, start a career, usually in more exciting cities elsewhere. So one thing well, that I'd like know, to work that's on- a good-
0: it's, That's a good point. Yeah. But as you yourself, you went to Georgetown. A lot of people who go to Georgetown go there for their access to Washington politics and stay in Washington. You know, it's a rare kid who goes back to his hometown to start a career unless they have to go into the family business or choose to go into the family business. <laughs>
1: That's true. I I got to give Jason Kander credit. You may know the, the former Secretary of State Absolutely. for Missouri. He came to Georgetown's campus in my senior year and gave a great speech. The line that I remember most is, look, if you want to make a difference for your family, your friends, community, for your hometown, then you've got to go back to your hometown. I think a lot of people flock to D.C. hoping to make a difference for their community. But intuitively, of course, in order to do that, you've got to actually head back home and figure out what your community is looking for. Knock on doors, talk to your neighbors, figure out how you can make a difference. So I was really proud to do that. And I think a lot more young people are are starting to do that as they realize that politics really is an essential calling for our generation. And I can count on one hand how many folks who went to my high school are still in Connecticut. But we've got to do a better job of drawing those young people back here. It's a real challenge that lies ahead.
0: Yeah, I do have as I said friends who live in your district and their children basically move to Brooklyn when they graduate from college and and are done. You know, or they stay in Washington or they go to Los Angeles or New York and I think that perhaps in a pandemic, more of them will and have started to go home because they feel safer being closer to family. And maybe that'll help. But let's be honest, as much as I love Connecticut, and I very much do, Hartford and New Haven and Bridgeport and Stanford are not the same as New York, Boston, Washington, or Chicago. That's
1: true. They're a little bit smaller and a, a lot more affordable, but I definitely take your point. You
0: know, and and my friends whose kids went to Trinity College uh, 10 years ago uh, experienced really bad local crime in Hartford. And for a while, it was a big deal if you were bold enough to go to college in Hartford. And I'm sure you're old enough to remember that.
1: Yeah, I I am. We've got to tackle the problem of urban gun violence. A lot of those guns that make their way into cities actually come from suburbs. And I've worked on some legislation around that I'd be happy to talk about. But one thing I think we can do to try to make this state a little bit more affordable and appealing to those young people is to tackle the student debt problem. Connecticut is the highest student loan debt per capita in the entire country. Wow. It really makes it challenging for young people who graduate from school here to afford to stay here. So, you know, Connecticut is, is uh, broke in many ways. We didn't have enough money to absolve student debt, as some national candidates have proposed. But what we did decide to do in this last session is I helped write this tax credit that says, look, any Connecticut business that hires a recent graduate, if you help to pay off that recent graduate student loan debt, we'll give mm-hmm. you a break in your corporate taxes. Of course, oh, the, that's clever. businesses loved it because it was a tax break and the young people love it because it helps them get past their student loans, buy their first home a little bit sooner, start their small business a little bit sooner. So I really view it as a win-win, uh, something that's that's going to make this state just a little bit more exciting as people are deciding between you know Connecticut and maybe some other city elsewhere in the country.
0: When you talk about your high debt, are you talking about graduates of state schools in Connecticut or people from Connecticut who went out of state for college?
1: I, those who went out of, I'm, I'm sorry, those who went to school here in Connecticut. So it could be state schools like UConn, Western, Norwalk Community College, or of course it could uh-huh. be some of our great private institutions, Yale, Wesleyan, Kahn College, no shortage of great schools in Connecticut. But unfortunately, tuition at all of them are rising from the privates down to the community college level. Tuition is right. on the rise.
0: And community colleges in the state of Connecticut are not bad, P.S.
1: Oh, they're wonderful. We've got 13 right. of them. Norwalk Community College is the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart. My grandfather uh, was a professor there until this year. He's 86, and we made him retire because we did not want him going back into the classroom during this pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, how is the pandemic affecting your campaigning?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. It's a, it's really weird this year to try to figure out how to meet voters in a socially distanced way. Last time around, my strategy was all about meeting people where they were. So we went to 142 living rooms and had conversations over coffee with folks. I knocked on around 4,000 doors. This year, we're trying to, of course, respect social distancing and listen to the guidelines of public health officials, which means I'm doing a little bit of door knocking. I knock and then I step about 20 feet back and I'm wearing a mask and everything. But mainly, we're just trying to connect with voters over the phone, connect with them over text, connect with them on social media, make sure that they know, of course, I'm still accessible and I'm still their state senator, even if we can't meet in person. I'm hosting town halls over Facebook, over Zoom, over Instagram, uh, over the telephone. So trying to continue the important work of government and and I think the exciting work of campaigning in a virtual environment. And honestly, it's been strange, but the good news is we've got this team of interns who are just remarkable. They're 16, 17, 18-year-olds who have made politics an extracurricular activity, and they come up with some really cool new ideas all the time.
0: Oh, that's great! Now I want to ask you how you felt about a TV series called The Politician, if you saw that, or the movie called Election. I haven't, seen- which are both about very precocious politicians. I
1: haven't seen Election. I'll have to add that to my list. You know, uh, I liked the first season of The Politician. I'm a big Ben Platt fan, but when I heard that he runs for the state senate in the second season, I thought, you know what, I want to, <laughs> I want to distance myself from this. I want to watch <laughs> something that doesn't hit anywhere close to home. (laughs)
0: I gotcha. Yeah, he's, he's a little scary in his ambition. So what is it for you? Do you think about going to law school? Do you think law school is a requirement to do your job and do it well?
1: I don't know if it's a, a requirement, but I my pl- I never expected to run for office after graduation. I, I was planning on going to law school. That was the plan that my girlfriend, by the way, who I met at Staples High School and I had, uh, had devised, <laughs> and she followed through with it. She's off at law school now. She's in her third year. And when we talk about what she's learning every day, it just all sounds so fascinating. I think I would really enjoy law school. I don't know if it's in the cards and when, but certainly, uh, you know, I, I don't think that I'll be in state politics forever. I think I'd probably uh, like to spend some time in my life not up for re-election every two years. So, law school might be the right answer.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, AOC, who we mentioned before, didn't go to law school, and she's exquisitely. Articulate and, and she's and brilliant. so
1: good at, at putting yeah. people on the spot during those hearings. I could watch her. Well, she's all day. also
0: she is, but she's also she never misses a beat. She doesn't hum or err or stutter mm-hmm. or or misspeak or hesitate.
1: And she's a real person, you know? Yeah. That's what I, I think I most admire about her. She talks about the stress of being in politics, about the abusive feedback that you can get. She talks yeah. about mental health days and and all of those little nitty-gritty details that people might find find fascinating
0: and that make her seem more approachable and like them so similarly or alternatively i guess is it is it tough being a young white male
1: oh i wouldn't these days i wouldn't say it's tough being a young white male there's certainly an enormous amount of privilege that that comes with it I think everywhere in the country still. One thing that I've tried to do, especially in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the Black Lives Matter movement, which hasn't just risen up in Connecticut cities, but so too in the seven suburbs, the predominantly white suburbs that I represent, I've just tried to do more listening than talking. And I think that that's probably a a good lesson in every element of politics. People... Politicians spend so much of that time talking and probably not enough time listening, but I've learned a lot from my constituents, whether it's folks who have been impacted by our unequal criminal justice system or officers in my district who have told me about the good work they do with the flaws that exist in the system. I've really listened and learned a lot.
0: Great. That's terrific. One last thing, the police. What is the attitude in your communities about the police? And is there any fear of Brutality or a community of wife beaters
1: enforcing the law? Well, we went up to Hartford this year, uh, just a few months ago, and passed a police accountability bill that I think made some really important reforms in Connecticut. Of course, George Floyd wasn't murdered in our backyard, but there are instances of police misconduct here in Connecticut. And more broadly, we know we have a criminal justice system that disproportionately incarcerates people of color. So we passed a bill that mandates implicit bias training. I think this is long overdue, but it requires an officer to intervene if he sees or she sees one of her colleagues acting inappropriately. It doesn't eliminate qualified immunity, but it qualifies it so that if somebody acts in a manner that's truly egregious, that if they're violating constitutional rights in a way that's wanton, willful, and malicious, well, then, of course, they should be held accountable uh, because no one is above the law. It it requires body cameras and dashboard cameras. I could go on and on, but the bill took a lot of positive steps in the right direction. And to your last question, I'm going to continue listening and learning uh, in terms of what's needed next to fix this broken system.
0: Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, Will Haskell, State Senator Will Haskell. I think it's time for you to tell us your five things that make your life better this week.
1: Five things that make my life better this week. Okay, this was a really fun prom. Good. Number one. Socks that match. That is an infrequent surprise. I spend an inordinate amount of time every morning trying to find socks that match. So that's something that makes my life a little bit better.
0: Oh, can I say a jerky thing? Yeah, I'm going to say it. You live in Connecticut. You don't have to wear socks. (laughs) That's
1: true. That's a good point. Well, I do a lot of door-to-door, you know, down these long driveways in Fairfield County. So socks are are crucial, I think, if you're doing a lot of walking.
0: (laughs) Okay. Fair enough.
1: Okay. Number two. Number two, I, I mentioned them earlier, are campaign interns. Most of the people who sign up to work on our campaign, they aren't even old enough to vote. Some of them aren't old enough to drive. And yet they've decided to get involved in this down-ballot race. Honestly, they inspire me so much. So that's my number two.
0: I would think that you inspire them because you're the youngest elected official they can ever meet at this point. And, you know, the fact that you're idealistic enough to run for office and be in office and care about your community, I think, sends a big message to them.
1: I think, you know, it's really, we have a nice connection because they're excited about seeing somebody from our generation on the ballot and they bring some really great ideas. We don't just use them for stamping envelopes. They're involved in our debate preparation. They help design our website. They are the engine that, that keeps our campaign running.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Number three.
1: Number three, I've really gotten into making homemade hard apple cider. You can only go to the liquor store so often during a pandemic, and it's not that yeah, hard. But they
0: deliver. That's,
1: they deliver. <laughs> that's the same problem, though. I don't want them to get to know my <laughs> name. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How long does it take to proof it and to?
1: So there's a bit of a lag time. Don't do it if you're thirsty. You know, tonight. But if you, uh, it essentially takes about a month in total, and it's really simple. You add some yeast. You add a little bit of honey. You let it sit. It's it's uh, it's really fun to do and you can experiment a little bit whether you like it sweeter or drier So i've had a lot of fun with that during this pandemic
0: Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Number four
1: Number four. I just got in preparation for our first debate a ring light this thing that our interns told us about actually And that way not every zoom looks like a hostage situation. It really improves the lighting in the room
0: You made me laugh when I read your list, because it's true. Most of us look like we are terrified. Totally. (laughs) It looks like we should hold up today's New
1: York Times to prove we're still alive.
0: Exactly. Well, one of my interviews recently was the Room Raider. Have you seen the Room Raider on Twitter? You
1: interviewed the Room Raider.
0: I did. I did. And for that, I subjected myself to Zoom.
1: I don't usually do it.
0: And I did not have the best life. how did you and do? What,
1: what was your rating?
0: He did not rate me. He said, he said maybe seven or eight, oh. which I thought was fine. Oh, that's
1: pretty good. I'll take it.
0: Yeah. And also, it wasn't at my house. So, you know, I couldn't take it personally. And I, I, I couldn't take the compliment. And I wouldn't have taken the slight. Okay. Number
1: five. Number five is my car. I, look, serving in the state Senate, if you represent Fairfield County, it involves a ton of driving. It's over, It's about an hour, usually a little bit more to Hartford every day. And I got to tell you, my Subaru Forester is there for me every mile and there have been many of them. So I, I love my car. I, sometimes I feel like I'm living out of my car, but uh, that's definitely my number five.
0: Well, I, 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 think it's a really good list. I think it's great. And I wish you all the best and good luck in your re-election. Do you have a tough race this year, do you think?
1: Yeah, this is a district that, you know, hasn't been represented by Democrats since the 1970s. So it's going to be a tough re-election, but we're going to keep working over the next few weeks.
0: I will say, When I was in your vicinity last week, I saw more Biden-Harris lawn signs than I... I, I've never seen Democratic lawn signs in Greenwich or Wilton before, and I did see some, so...
1: Well, that makes me optimistic. Fingers crossed for a, a, a major turnout in this election.
0: I hope so. Well, you've been listening to five things that make life better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been Will Haskell, Connecticut's 26th district state senator and a 23-year-old. You can follow Will on Twitter at WillHaskellCT and Facebook at haskell 4 ct Connecticut, not a CAT scan. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so that we can get new listeners. My blog is at lisabernbach.com, where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Espresso Rucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, wear a mask, vote early if you can, and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.